my heart just kept telling me, come on, you gonna wait till you're a 70 year old woman to finally study psychology? And I, Yvonne, this sounds crazy, but I really had this moment where my heart and my head were like fighting. My heart said, you know, you always win head. You always pick the things you think you can do. But what about answering to, you know, the heart and what I love and what I want to do? Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, and I am Yvonne Marchese, your host. This week, we're talking to Susan Bernstein. Once upon a time, she was a corporate consultant, a road warrior, regularly booking 80 hours a week and putting everything she had into climbing the corporate ladder. After a car accident and a few other wake-up calls, she realized she was on the wrong path. She went back to school to get her PhD in somatic psychology, and now she's an executive coach and leadership consultant who coaches business leaders to identify their emotional obstacles, working with them to develop strategies and practices so they can tap into their wisdom to fuel their careers in positive ways. Her approach is all about tapping into the mind-body connection. Let's go. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me, first of all. It's total pleasure. I'm What's so that? happy. <laughs> um, so I wanted, I was just interested in how you made the move from your corporate career to what you're doing now and kind of like the whole background, like what, what that was like for you, how, how that change happened. Mm. So just like, Go back in time and then bring us up to where you are now. Um, it's funny because I now look back at that, I don't know, old self or less evolved self. I don't even really know the right words to use. Uh, and I call her little Miss Corporate because I felt like <laughs> an automaton, you know, doing the things and speaking super corporate speak, like we're going to, we're going to do a deep dive analysis on this. <laughs> yeah. The, the, you know, sometimes I'm like, can we just speak English? And I would think that, but um, I, I went into management consulting after my MBA. Um, I wasn't planning to do that, but I got recruited by seven different firms and I chose one of them that seemed the nicest. And I did have really nice, caring, interesting, super ambitious colleagues. Um, but I, I knew after the first year that it wasn't right for me, but I kept staying to prove myself. Like I can do these 80 hour plus work weeks. I can do this analysis. I can advise CEOs, even though I didn't really love it. Um, mm -hmm. And then honestly, the work had gotten so stressful, especially with honestly, a minimum 80 hour expectation of a work week. Wow. Um, it had gotten so stressful that I had a secret wish that I would get hurt in some way, just bad enough that I had to stay at home or you know, couldn't work. And yeah. It was a horrible wish to have, but it happened. So I was driving home from, I would fly out of town Monday to Thursday and stay in a hotel and work for a client and then fly back Thursday night and be in the San Francisco office where I was based at the time on a Friday. And on a Thursday night, I was driving home from San Francisco airport and I got rear-ended by a drunk driver. I had the back quarter panel of my car was smashed in 
I show up for work the next day in the San Francisco office and the associate partner in charge of my project says to me, you don't look good. And I'm like, am I having a bad hair day? And she says, no, you look like you got hit by a car. And she said it jokingly. And I'm like, Joanna, I did. And she's like, yeah, your eyes don't look right. Something, you don't, you don't look balanced. Fortunately, I went in to see my doctor and he said, you know, I really, really like to run an MRI. And I was like, no way, I'm not for promotion. I'm not doing anything to get in the way of that. And um, for the next two weeks, I had horrendous headaches that I just chalked up to, well, I'm working on a busy project. I'm 100 hours a week on this project. You know, I barely sleep. Well, I better stay macho. But two weeks to the day after the car accident, that Thursday afternoon before I was supposed to fly home Thursday night, I passed out in front of a group of clients while making wow. a presentation. And here, there I am with my PowerPoint, and like I wake up on the ground, looking up at all these people hovering over me. Um, and it turns out that I had a pinched nerve in my back. But in losing consciousness, I realized I was not conscious of myself and how I was really feeling. I was always like, "Well, let me let other people decide if I should stay in this career. Let me let other people decide if I should be on this project." It was very hands off in my own career and in a way my own life. Um, that got me to leave management consulting and go work for a startup in online learning, which I loved. And it was probably four or five years after that first incident. Uh, it was 2001 and February of 2001. And in a five week period, my life changed so drastically in five weeks. I left a marriage that had turned abusive. I finally woke up to the abuse and said, I'm leaving. Uh -huh. Two days after I, um, I announced I was leaving, I took a temporary tiny little apartment just so that I could you know, be on my own and be safe. Two days after that, I got a phone call from my mom that my father had had a traumatic brain injury and was in the hospital. So I immediately hopped on a plane and flew out to be with my family. Um, my dad fortunately survived that and I'm wow. so grateful, um, but he was in the hospital for five weeks and very disoriented and it took months of rehabilitation to get him back to himself. Um, during that time, I flew back and forth between where my parents lived in California where I was um, and I had two surgeries and was recovering from the second surgery. I got a phone call from my manager at the startup where I was at. And she said, Hey, this is my last official act as your manager. Uh, our dot com is going dot bomb. You, it, this was on a Tuesday. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you have severance till Friday. I'm like, Woo three days severance. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Nothing to celebrate really. So I didn't have a husband I didn't have a house. I barely had my health. I almost lost my father and I didn't have a job. And my friends kept calling and texting and messaging me, are you okay? I mean, like, are you okay? And um, I realized, I was like, you know, honestly, it's so strange, but I feel really peaceful. And I think that was the piece of like clearing the slate. Hmm. I had to start fresh, right? Because I didn't, it was, it was an invitation to start over to me. And I had this realization that since I was very young, I'd always wanted to study, study psychology. 
but I did a business undergrad in marketing and economics and I got my MBA. Neither one of those is psychology, although I would try to take classes like consumer behavior. Um, and my heart just kept telling me, come on, you're gonna wait till you're a 70 year old woman to finally study psychology? And I, Yvonne, this sounds crazy, but I really had this moment where my heart and my head were like fighting. My heart said, you know, you always win head. You always pick the things you think you can do. But what about answering to, you know, the heart and what I love and what I want to do? And my heart threw down a challenge to my head and, like, and said, look, I want to study psychology. So brain, you're good at figuring stuff out. You figure out how to make this PhD program or this that you want to go after work. So I did, and I went, I found a PhD program in mind-body psychology that was just the bee's knees. It was not only academic, it was also experiential. So I got to do breathing exercises and movement exercises and all kinds of things to get in touch with myself. Um, so it was wonderful because I would only go for once a month for a long weekend and seeing people once a month as opposed to once or twice a week in a class, you get to see more change and that was amazing. Um, I had two things happen from that. One is I was able to work. So I actually went back to Berkeley where I had done my MBA, marched into the Career Center and asked the most naive question ever. I'm like, is there any work I can do here? And there was, I actually helped uh, management consult uh, students who wanted jobs in management consulting to prep for the very specialized case interviews that they give in consulting. Um, and uh, then I also was able to do a lot of experiential learning. So in addition to reading and the academics and writing, there were things like moving your body or breathing techniques or meditation techniques so it was very, very experiential, hands-on, very sensory. And I got to learn um, this practice called sensory awareness about really being exquisitely aware of sensations in the body. And I realized that that's what I had been doing all along that I hadn't been paying attention to. That when we get a gut sense or you know, a pang in the heart or a bump in the throat, that it's a moment instead of going like, oh, I don't want to feel that or brushing it aside. It's a moment to be like, hey, wait a minute. My body's trying to tell me something. Mm -hmm. So I've learned to listen a lot more deeply. And I actually brought that to the MBA students who I was working with. So they asked me at the Career Center, hey, in addition to doing the interview prep, can you also help students who want to make career change? And can you help students make decisions in their career? And I would do wild things and I would actually ask them, I'm like, hey, I just learned something in my mind-body psychology class. Would you mind being a guinea pig? Let's try uh -huh. something else. So it might be something as simple as um, they're trying to decide between two job offers. And I'm like, okay, make a decision. Put one in your left hand and one in your right. Random, it doesn't make a difference. Or just feel into which one you want to be in your left and which one to be in your right. Uh -huh. And then tell me what you're feeling in that hand, which seems like a pretty woo-woo weird thing to ask an MBA student, right? Uh -huh. MBAs tend to be, you know, fact-based, scientific, put the numbers in the right boxes, do the formula. Right. But they loved it. 
and they're like, oh, this one feels really heavy, and this one feels light and breezy, and I'm like, what is that telling you? Ah. Uh-huh. And so I started getting a following of students who wanted to come see me for career advising because it was never me just telling them what to do. It was so much of asking them what they were experiencing, what they already knew, which people don't usually ask us. They don't mm-hmm. ask us for our own wisdom, our own intelligence. So I started doing that. And then students would ask me, hey, can I send my spouse to you? Can I send a friend to you? And so on the side, I hung out a shingle doing this work and helping people. I called my work then work from within, like finding your work from within you. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I, I did that in addition to my Berkeley work until I had enough people to take that solo. And then that's morphed. So it went from career coaching and resumes and cover letters and job search to people saying to me, wait, Susan, you helped me so effectively to land the job I've always wanted. And now I have a difficult boss or politics, or I'm not sure how to get promoted. Can you help me? Uh And so over the last four to five years, I've morphed myself into an executive coach. Um, And I especially had a lot of people asking me for help with conflict at work because almost nobody's immune from it. I don't know, unless you're a complete individual contributor. Um, And I do what I know to do best. I created a workshop that I've taught all over the U.S. called The Conflict Shift. And it's a whole set of principles and practices for being able to diagnose when you're in a conflict and then to find the remedies you need so that you can go from conflict to collaboration. So that's been one of the other things that I've spun off is in addition to the executive coaching is creating workshops and things like that. But it's all been, I realized that the whole journey of this is about listening to and paying attention to what's in front of me, what's working, what's, you know, what's evident to me? When am I starting to see patterns and opportunities? Yeah. Wow. I love, I love you said something about um, how naive you were to walk into the, uh, the MBA office and say, is there any work I can do? And I guess what I love about that is sometimes I think we need a little naivete um, to step into a situation that we would otherwise maybe be intimidated by. Yeah, You know, when you go in and you ask an open-ended question and then just kind of be willing to be like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, that, that's what's here. Yeah, I'll try that, you know, instead of getting maybe bogged down in, um, I think what I tend to do is research, look at things, and then I get the analysis paralysis. <laughs> thing going oh well i don't know if i could do that you know i relate so much to that i mean management consulting and getting an mba i i i i'm always a little cautious when people are like should i get an mba because one of the things that the mba teaches you is a lot of analysis Mm -hmm. when you have too many good analytical tools in your toolbox it can make you pretty conservative about decisions i should analyze it this way i should analyze it i should think about it this way and we can overthink 
And I didn't know in that moment when I asked that naive question, you know, is there any work I can do here? How much that would have opened up. So I think you're right. right. Look at where but, it led you. Sorry. I know. I'm like, look where it did lead me. And, and I do, I invite people now. I think what's a, what's an open-ended wonder question, a question out of curiosity that you want to know about, go mm-hmm. ask that to a bunch of people. So I'm thinking about right now, there's somebody who I'm working with, who I'm coaching, who it's become really clear in our work together. She's an innovator and, and she's not sure because there's no real, there's no job description written at her level and her expertise, you know, that, that speak to just that. Uh-huh. So I'm like, who do you know who needs an innovator? Who do you know who would appreciate an innovator? Who do you know who's an innovator who needs somebody else as a thought partner? Those questions are helping prompt her as opposed to, well, there's no job description. Well, you know, suck it up or keep looking or, you know, no, no more than analysis. It's like, how can you, I, I do think there is something that very serendipitously happened when I asked that question. So yeah. naivete has curiosity about it. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know. And one of my one of my teachers, she's somebody who I know from the dance world, says it's great to be living in the world of I don't know. Like embrace that. Right. Yes, absolutely. And you do have a background in dance, right? <laughs> I forgot about that. I I I, uh, I did not. I I was put in the corner as a kid in ballet class um, for talking too much. <laughs> I was in first grade um, and got in serious trouble. And I told my mom, I will never go back to dance. Uh, and then I would dance in my bedroom with the door closed and, you know, dance in, with good music on my mirror. Um, and it wasn't until years later in that, in that time in my mid thirties, where I was just coming out of that crazy five week period that uh-huh. I went to a place called the Esalen Institute and I'll spell it E-S-A-L-E-N. It's uh-huh. on the big third coast of California. It's a personal growth retreat center that's been there since the 1960s. And in my first time there, they had this huge dance dome with windows overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Ah, oh, wow. And I wander in for a morning movement class and people are dancing to this crazy music. And I'm like, wow, this is like what I do all by myself. But there's tons of people here doing this. And the teacher invites us to move like a giraffe or move like a a lion and I'm having so much fun. And about 10 minutes into it, I'm like, what if somebody sees me? Oh my God, am I seriously? And just that moment, it was another moment of serendipity. Lucia, this woman who happened to be facilitating this says, what if you let every move you make be the most perfect move you've ever made? And I'm like, wait, she's giving me permission to make even my, what I think is silly looking be perfect. So uh-huh. I just like, I let my body undulate, uh-huh. I let bounce, it's just whatever felt good. Yeah. And I think there's a principle to that in our lives that we can feel so much like we have to conform. And there's something to being in touch with what's our own natural instinct and impulse that I took from that moment. I, I, I've known Lucia now, oh gosh, 20 years. And every time I see her, she's like, oh, you have to tell the story again, don't you? And I'm like, yes. 
<laughs> so it was such a moment that was so important. And that's when I started to really dance, but I basically do free form dance. I'm not a good salsa or merengue or any of those kinds of, but to gotcha. free form, oh, you know, we humans are made to move. Uh, I know that tonight I'm going to join one of my Bay Area communities virtually and dance with them, even though we're cool. all going to dance in our little postage stamps. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. Time. Yeah. Is it like, is it being hosted as like a Zoom call? It is. It is. How yeah, cool. Valerie Schaffergraf does it. And um, it's a practice called Soul Motion. Um, there are lots of soul motion teachers all over the world. Valerie happens to be one of my absolute faves. There's another practice called Open Floor. That's um, grown out of the work that Lucia introduced to me. Um, so there are many, there's something else called five rhythms. So there are lots of these moving, I'll, I'll call loosely called moving meditation practices. Yeah. Um, that it's like doing the things that if you ever let yourself move crazy in the mirror or just crazy as a kid, you know, do, imagine doing that with a bunch of adults. Um, right. It's literally like that old saying, you know, dance like nobody's watching, right? It is just like that. Yeah. But it, it's so much fun. Like, you know, nobody's watching, watching you. Right. Because everybody's doing yeah. their own thing, right? That's yes. fun. It, that but is it's so just fun. So, it's so refreshing to let go and be yourself. And then, you know, like you're in the middle of moving some funky way and somebody else sees that and starts doing something that mirrors that or that you know, amplifies that. And then it, wait, all of a sudden we're moving together. We didn't like plan out a dance card and be like, it's song three, we will move. Kids. No, no, there's no agenda. It's like, just That's my kind of dancing. Dance. <laughs> That's my kind of dancing. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think I know the, an wait, oh no, I had another question for you. Um, I know that you moved to San Diego recently. Mm -hmm. So that was another big shift for you. Yes. What went into that? What was, what was that shift about wow. for you? Um, so I had been living in the Bay Area for 27 years. And I unfortunately grew disillusioned with it. It's got, I don't know what's happening now with the pandemic. It's actually starting to get a little less expensive, but it's expensive. It's crowded. It because it's gotten so expensive, it's harder for artists to be there. And I just grew off of artists, whether they're, you know, musical artists or theater performers, dancers. So it's lost some of its, it had lost some of its cultural soul to me. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, where do I want to go? And I moved for 18 months, thinking I was going to be there permanently, to a little um, Gold Rush Town, an hour north of Sacramento called Grass Valley. I enjoyed it very much. It was sweet, but I'm also very affected by weather. And my second year living there, um, the dark hanging clouds that would move up into the Sierra and dump on like the Lake Tahoe area would just sit so low. And I felt so claustrophobic with dark, dark clouds. I mean, didn't see much sunlight and it was driving me crazy. And I know that I get seasonal affective disorder. So I was like, where could I go on just a vacation and get some respite from here? And I looked on my weather app and I'm like, well, San Diego is having rain, 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 rain. And finally I just waited until there were four days in a row of sun. And I came here and it turned into 12 days at this Airbnb super charming little Spanish mission meets arts and crafts style bungalow that was oh, just so charming. And the, own, the 
owner was lovely. My next door neighbor was like, do you want to go for a walk? And I'm like, yeah. It was instant community. And um, yeah, I, I realized I, I can really live anywhere I want, that I want. But I had come to San Diego my first time as a kid. I grew up in Phoenix. And uh, San Diego has a phenomenon in the summer of hosting zonies, Arizona people who go to San Diego to escape the heat. Uh-huh. We spent a number of summers for a week or so. And so I've always loved this place and it has some very special memories that uh, some other times that I've come here and I'm like, wait, I could choose to live here. And so, yeah, I made the decision to move here. And it's, it's, it's a lovely, friendly, beautiful city. Um, I still sometimes, especially we're recording this during the pandemic, I miss my Bay Area friends, but I can still connect with them virtually. Um, it's right. a little weird to be uh, only nine months into living somewhere in a pandemic and, uh, you know, having just a handful of people I know well right. here. because March, April, May, June, July, five months of that has been pandemic, right? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm really fortunate. My next door neighbor, um, we generally try to walk every Sunday. So it's become a ritual for us. And if something happens, like it's not common that San Diego gets earthquakes, but we've had a few. And so I text him, Hey, is everything okay? And he texts back. So, you know, I feel like I've made a friend that way. I know what I wanted to ask you. And I think I know I think I know the answer to this, but I'd be curious. Um, With all the pivots that you've done, and there've been a lot of them, what do you think has served you in stepping into something new? Like what, what is it about you or, or your approach that has enabled you to make big changes? Two things for sure. One is, I don't remember who said it to me. I wish I could attribute it. I like to be able to do that. But that um, you make a move, you're more likely to make a move when excitement exceeds fear. Mm. So then I will practice dialing down whatever my fears are, whether it's writing about them or talking them out with friends. So dialing down the fear and dialing up the excitement. So that might be like making a mind map of the idea I'm excited about or talking an idea through with a friend or going and making a, a, you know, a mood board or a vision board Mm -hmm. about what I want to create. So working with that energy. And then the other thing is because I come from such a now, uh, my MBA wasn't this, but my PhD is somatic psychology, which is mind body psychology is to pay attention to what my body's telling me. And so, and putting myself in opportunities to do that. So for me, freeform dance does that. There's something about just moving the way, you know, the impulse of the way I feel like moving Mm -hmm. that, uh, especially if I do it for some period of time, I'll get insights and ahas. And I can, I've learned to pay enough attention to those that they give me the, you know, that nudge, that feeling. And then if I, if I get scared, I will pay attention to 
Where am I really feeling that in my body? Oh, it's in my stomach. Oh, there's a knot in the pit of my stomach. Well, I could go take an antacid, but it's probably not telling me, especially first thing in the morning, that I just ate something, you know, that's upsetting me. It's not that. It's there's something to pay attention to. Why do I feel slightly queasy? Hmm, what could that be? And not putting it in my analytic mind, mm-hmm. but a practice that I learned during my PhD program was to imagine that I could slide my brain down from its perch up at the top of my head into wherever I'm feeling and to get curious and listen the way that you would if you were sitting on a park bench with a stranger and they started telling you a story and you're like, oh, 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 oh. Is it sort of a meditative practice that you use to do that? Do you like, that sounds... It sounds very meditative to me when you... Yeah. I don't know if I know the distinction well enough between mindfulness and meditation. I think it's mindful. I mean, I'm not intentionally sitting down, you know, uh, the way I do on my when I meditate in the morning is a practice in doing a specific meditation practice. But it is meditative in that it's being really, really present with what I'm feeling and not judging it, mm-hmm. but just allowing it to bubble up or to emerge or to, you know, nudge me. Um, and sometimes it's super subtle and sometimes I don't get anything. I would just get like, okay, my stomach feels queasy mm-hmm. and I can't. Do you journal through it or do you sit through it? Sometimes. Mm-hmm. It, it depends. I mean, it depends if it's, if it's feeling, it, for me personally, if it's feeling particularly heavy uh, or has a, yeah, has a heavy quality about it or a sad quality, I'll tend to want to write it out. Mm-hmm. If, it's, uh, if it's more of a, like, I can't tell what's going on here and I get frustrated and impatient with it, then I'll generally, you know, it's almost like talking to a friend, like, seems like right now is a less than good time to talk. All right. Well, I'll come back a little later and see if you want to let me know anything. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't pounce on whatever I'm feeling. It's more like cozying up to and being like, hey, can you give me some more insight here? Can you tell me what you're feeling or needing? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much how I, craft whatever is going on and then then what I noticed for myself I finally realizing this again in my life I knew this before but I sort of filed it aside I'm very I'm a very kinesthetic learner I'm very kinesthetic in how I experience the world so (laughs) I get some of my biggest insights when I'm doing something that isn't analytical that is physical and one of those (laughs) washing the dishes I get that. I totally get that. Yes. Yes, I do. Um, like a lot of times in the mornings, I'll, um, well, being the podcast junkie that I am, sometimes I'll turn on a podcast in the morning, but some mornings I'll be like, no, no. And, and I'll be, I try to get up before everybody else in the house if I can. Um, so that I've got some silence in the morning and sometimes I'll just be like, no, no, just, just, just wash your dishes just do that. And, and, and it lets me, it lets my mind wander and kind of like without working through a problem, I'm working through Mm. a problem. 
I also find that I do it when I'm, when I'm feeling rage. <laughs> oh, I want to know about this. What? Yes, cleaning. I, I'm not a big, I am not a domestic goddess. I'm going to tell you all right now, my house is a hot mess most of the time. Um, but if I'm angry about something, I will start cleaning laundry, dishes, whatever. And, and I, I literally have to work through um, to step away from an argument with either my husband or my kids or whoever. And I, I find myself just going and doing chores, angry chores. <laughs> <laughs> angry chores. I love it. But it's a kinetic and it, and it does help me work through things, you know? So there's the peaceful. I also, the other morning I, I was got my husband and I had a little poof and I, I was telling a couple friends about it and I was like, I went on a fury walk. <laughs> you know? I've just got to go it. walk it off, you know, and, uh, and do my processing and all that stuff. Well, I find that, you know, now it's, it's really interesting during the pandemic because people aren't most people, not all, but most people aren't in an office right now and they're working from home. I no longer have to say to people, Hey, when you have a hard time in the office, go out and take a walk around the block around your building. They just know because a lot of people are, are, they're having fewer meetings. Their time is more their own to figure out how to get their tax projects done. And so they'll be like, I'm just stuck. So I'm going out for a walk. And they know proactively to do that. Mm -hmm. Or they know like, I know it's not, I know it's work hours, but I need to wash the dishes because it's just the thing to do to get the next idea I need. Yeah. So I love that it's, it's a time when we can be more in tune with what we actually need. And I always thought it was weird to sit on your butt in an office all day long, yeah. and, you know, under fluorescent lights, um, yep. breathing in recirculated air. And how is that supposed to be a creative environment? Now I know it can be really hard to have your spouse, your kids, other people around with you. Um, but it's also, there's something soothing and familiar that can allow you to think more clearly. It's not for everybody. I don't mean that that's meant to work right, for everybody. Right, right. And, and then that's the thing is but like finding your own rhythms, right? Finding, finding what yes. works for you, but being open to that body connection. That's interesting. So I'm going to ask you the flip side of where I went a second ago. I asked you what, what served you with your pivots in the past. What do you think held you back? Oh, wow. Um, worry and dread. Uh -huh. <laughs> I remember, so before I finally left consulting, uh, I had a girlfriend who had left the firm. And Peggy uh, came back she had been working somewhere else, not a consulting firm for three months. And she knew that some of us were not happy at work. And she took a bunch of us and we all girls day out to go to the, you know, go have lunch. And she said something that just woke me up so much. She said, it's not normal to spend your, uh, to enjoy your life only on the weekends. Mm. And to try to cram your whole life into two days a week. And I realized that's what I was doing. I mean, I sometimes leave Sunday night on a red eye and show up at the client, like at you know, Dallas, I'd fly from San Francisco to Dallas on a, you know, get on a plane at midnight on a Sunday and 
work on Monday and be wicked tired mm-hmm. um, and Tuesday be way out of it and um, you know work until Thursday hop back on a plane show up in the San Francisco office on Friday and because it was so much the culture and this machismo about how hard you had to work um, and people bragging about how many hours they worked, like as it was a badge of honor. I mean, things have changed since then. And I don't hear as many people doing that and consulting firms realized over time it's taken a lot of undoing the, the cultural myths that that's a good thing. But I, you know, consulting firms are getting better work-life balance overall. Mm-hmm. But I, I really fell into the anxiety and I think there was an anxiety holding me in consulting. And for me, then it was the anxiety of where am I going to find as smart people to work with? Will I ever find that again? Will I ever make this kind of money again? Uh, So I realized now I didn't see it then if I could, you know, spare somebody else this problem that I didn't realize how much my mind was gravitating to all the fears and i wish that somebody had helped me at the time to work through all the excitement or the curiosity or the wonder or the what's possible if i make a change Mm -hmm. i personally think that's one of the really great benefits of working with a coach and i've worked with a lot of coaches Mm -hmm. to help me you know, as a coach uh, right now, I have three coaches, two of them in group programs and one solo helping me create what I need to create. So I don't try to do it all alone because I think, well, I know from the work of Rick Hansen, he's a neuropsychologist whose work I really, really admire. Mm-hmm. Um, he, um, he talks about this is, he's talking about the brain without training because he talks a lot about meditation and retraining the brain, but without meditation, without techniques, uh, our brain for um, negative information for, you know, things we want to punish ourselves about or bad stuff or scary stuff, our brain is like Velcro, you know, just gloms on and holds on. And for things that are positive, that are encouraging, our brain is like Teflon, slides right off. And like, wait, that seems backwards. Right. But I um in our human evolution, that was a good thing. We needed to be afraid of scary stuff like saber-toothed tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that's always used. Right. <laughs> saber-toothed tigers. So a tiger's going to run after me or a bear. Um, but that was, I have another teacher, um, Christine Caldwell, who I love. She said, we're not that long out of trees, we humans. Like, You know, mm-hmm. our brains haven't, evolved to the way the world is now where it's actually much much safer than our ancestors let's say 10 generations ago mm-hmm. right they needed to be much more concerned about am i going to get the food i needed do i have the shelter i need our basics for many not all but many people are covered but we still can have that anxiety and so it, that is for me one of the reasons that i strive to meditate daily mm-hmm. so that i want what my mind is doing and at least if it's going negative I'm like well, where can I find a positive balance where can I yeah. find that equilibrium so you know I, I, if there if the people listening to your podcast they think if you're feeling like oh there's something I'd like to do but gosh I can make you a million thing you know a million mile list of all the things that are scary or bad or wrong or con- I'm concerned about 
So I get those all down and then counter every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Like have a why why that could be wrong or what you prefer to think and start learning how to balance out the negative and the positive so you get to a place that's more neutral that's more balanced because that's where the possibilities open yeah you get stuck in all the worries and the dreads and the anxieties and this well what if this and there if you're going to what if in a a negative direction balance it with a what if in the positive direction. right because really we're all making it up we're all making <laughs> totally it's all, all made up. So like, I guess it's yes, something I've come it. to in the last few years myself and a lot of it through mindfulness work and starting to be more aware of what I'm telling myself and, uh, yeah. and realizing that it's all just stories that we tell ourselves and is the story you're telling yourself helpful? Right. Is it supporting where you want to go? Is it helpful? And if it isn't helpful, replace that damn story with something else. It's not going to be any more true, but I mean, we can choose it and you can choose to believe something else whatever it is. And if it makes, if it resonates with you, if you can find some buy-in with it, if you can find some truth, it's not like, I think it's the whole thing of like, um, you know, affirmations and the bad, the bad rap that they have. I think a lot of why affirmations might not work for people is because if you don't buy into it, right? then, then yeah, that's not going to work. Your mind's rejecting it. So you have to find, I've found that I have to find affirmations that I truly can buy into. And that takes Mm -hmm. some work, you know, that takes some niggling of, uh, you know, a little bit of judo with the language. For me, it's like, it's like even being willing to make little affirmational shifts as opposed to like, if I say to myself, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think about something I might want. I, I, I want to write a book, but I tell myself, no way, you can't write a book. If I'm like, you're going to write a New York Times bestseller, that is not going to help me because I'm already like, I don't think I can write a book. I'm like, I could write a chapter. Oh, that feels all right. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, let's just get comfy with that as opposed to trying to make some gigantic wholesale change. Mm-hmm. Right? Or I could write a paragraph today, or I could commit to write two days a week. Oh, okay. That feels better than trying to make myself, I'm going to, I mean, maybe I will be in New York Times. Right. Yeah. Author, but but I, if I can get to it in small steps and, and not try to make that affirmation so hard to buy into. Yeah. Easy steps. Just the way they break down a project, small steps. Yep. Yep. I love it. I love it. Feels so much better. What, so, so I think we've already kind of headed there a little bit, but what are your thoughts um, on in the here and now? Because this is such a bizarre time. It is really hard to plan. <laughs> is yeah. I think 
you know, I think it's an interesting time because um, I, I, would, I would guess that there are a lot of people rethinking mm-hmm. their lives right now, because how can you not? Um, but I also think that it's like, if you've got a project, you even think that you might want to, oh, oh, that seems like that would be interesting. Oh, but there's so many, there's so many things like you can't, like I, I can't even, I'm having trouble figuring out how to step forward with my photography business, just figuring out logistics for how would I manage that the way I used to, because everything's changed and I don't know what that's going to look like in three months even. And, and so even for what I normally do, um, it's, it's a challenge to move forward. So if you're looking, if somebody's like looking at uh, really wanting to make a big change, how, what do you think? What do you think? How do we move forward yeah, uh, right now? Um, first is not calling it a big change. Oh, okay. <laughs> because that, I think that's a stigma that we can put on it. Yeah. Right. Like, this is going to be a big change. Oh, that has to be scary. Yeah. Right. Is being like, I'm going to make a change or I'm going to make a shift. And recognizing the shifts happen all the time. Uh-huh. Like, if it didn't, uh, we'd be stagnant. So, so maybe you don't spook like, yourself by giving it big change in quotes. Right, right, uh-huh. right. Um, I, there's another thing that, that occurs to me. Uh, I don't remember where I picked up this piece of guidance, but thinking about not so much what you want to become, but who you mm. want to become. Yeah. Because that you have a lot more control over. Yes. You have a lot more agency to. So if like I decide that I want to be a more organized person, then I can change that instead of saying, I am a business that I runs like clockwork. Like, oh, that sounds scary and like too much. But I'm like, I can be organized. You know, like what, what, what one new thing could I learn to help me organize? It puts it in the realm of what you can do versus what's outside your control, right? Who you can become. Right. You can, and, then, and then it helps make decisions in every moment. It's also more value-based, which I like too. It's really more about, um, it, and it's exactly what I've been looking at doing, like with, with the change I'm in the middle of is like, who would I have to become? to do what I want to do. And that to me is exciting because it's like, it feels, it may, so when you, when, when I look at something and I've got a, and I've got like a big goal, I worry that I'm going to lose some part of myself that is, that, that I actually like right now, you know, mm-hmm. it's, but if I look at it as who would I have to become in a good way, like who do I want to become? Yes. A lot, exactly. To, to get to there. And is that, so it's all then becomes journey focused instead of yes. end focused. We don't really get to control the end. No. <laughs> we don't. Dang it. <laughs> you know, I saw this so much this last week. So I worked with a bunch of people, a bunch of my clients are changing roles right now. And they're writing resumes and they're saying things like, well, I worked on this initiative for months and then the CEO pulled the plug 
and that initiative never came to be. So how do I write about this on my resume? It's a failure. I'm like, no, it's like, this is what was forecasted to happen. And you got to work on it. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then when you get in the interview, let's talk about, you you can talk about, and actually it didn't work. And here are the learnings I have for your company about what to be careful. Yeah. We are all so afraid to fail, aren't we? And, 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 there's so much to be taken from failure so much to be learned from failure and if you like if we could adjust our relationship with that i have a personal point of view about uh, about failure these days and that is that um something is real you can really only have a failure if you have a fixed view of how things have to turn out Mm -hmm. and you're relentless about it has to be just like this Mm. so you know, if I had said, oh God, if I had said I had to go to a top 10 psychology program, if that's the only way it will work, I would never have found my school, which was in its second year of existence. It wasn't accredited yet, but it was out of this world. I'm like, I'm so grateful for the experiences that I have because it was so experiential and it changed me from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Do I think that a top 10 psychology program would have been that? No, it probably would have been, I don't know this for sure, but a lot more about writing the perfect dissertation and making my advisors look good and all the things that you have to do at a leading university mm-hmm. versus what happened at my school, which was very, very, uh, so the people who founded my school believe in generative education. And generative meaning that you're generating and creating who you're being in that experience. So it's not a fixed, you will do this in the curriculum and then you will do that. And we all want that clear path, don't we? Don't we all just want that damn clear path? Just get, just let me know what to do next. Would you just let me know what to do next, please? But it sounds more like it was much more exploratory and which could be scary but also exciting. I mean, I can see how, how completely over the moon you are about what that process was. It was, it was incredible. And I'm still in touch with my classmates. Unfortunately, the school got bought out by a bigger school who then a few years into it decided not to keep the program in somatic mind body psychology. I'm very sad about that Mm -hmm. because I think it's revolutionary and incredibly valuable. Um, But, that said, I think that this, the practices, I was going to say skills, but I really think they're more practices that I learned for how to turn my attention inward. Um, they help me stay confident. They help me weather all kinds of change. Um, you know, a, a very personal example, my mom a few years ago had to have a surgery that she was terrified about. She finally decided to have it, but she... Um, the doctors didn't give her the right pain meds afterward. And then she wanted more pain meds and they by law couldn't give her any more. You know, there's a certain dosage and you can't have another amount for 12, 24, whatever hours. Mm-hmm. And one, it was very hard to be with my mother screaming and yelling in pain. Mm-hmm. But I was able to hold her hand and stay in my own body. Like, okay, I'm hearing her yell and I'm feeling my heart beating faster. I'm feeling, you know, a fluttery feeling up the, up my back. 
I'm, I can notice that I have a lump in my throat and I'm holding my mother's hand and I can feel the clamminess of her hand against the warmth of mine. And I decided in that moment, mom, would you be willing to do a guided visualization? I don't know where it came from, but I, mm-hmm. I just kind of guided her with some imagery and within 15 minutes she fell asleep and slept for three hours and she woke up and she's like, I had been in excruciating pain, what just happened? And I said, I think that you being in that guided visualization got you present. Instead of you trying to, like when we're on meds, we want to dissociate mm-hmm. and be away from something, yeah. but you were able to be present and still feel it enough so that your body was like, okay, I can go to sleep now. I can just relax. I'm safe. Um, I wouldn't have had the capacity to be with her in that situation prior to the, I would have, but I probably would have gotten angry or yelled at nurses or, you know, went out of the room and cried. And that's not, it wouldn't have been a helpful response or as helpful. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and two, I, I always hesitate to say this publicly, but I'm just going to say it. I'm an empath. I, (laughs) <laughs> and so, and, and that's, I I can tell when when something's off for somebody. I may not always be able to put my finger on it, but I I can feel the thing. Even if somebody's smiling, and I'll see past the smile into something in their eyes, and I can tell something's going on. And then later on, find out. Yeah. But but what's hard about that is that I absorb other people's feelings. And so if somebody's having a hard time, like I can imagine that the panic and how, how hard that must've been, but you had the tools to like, I could hear you talking yourself through, okay, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this. I I'm feeling my mom's hand. I'm feeling the rush of adrenaline or whatever, what all the clamminess, the, you know, and being able to be with that and acknowledge, um, what was and move through it. And then you were able to help your mom. Yvonne, I think there's so much to what you just said. Um, you know, I, I, I think almost everybody who goes into therapy uh, goes in to become a therapist and especially somatic, somatically trained therapists are empaths mm-hmm. and we feel right. So one of the skills that we, we learned was how to differentiate what's what's mine, what's yours, and what's in our shared space together. Mm-hmm. And to physically to to ground that in the body uh, it was truly helpful because otherwise it's up in the head and like is that right? Is that right? right. And, and like you just, said, you might have gotten angry, and I will do that to my husband if my husband's having a hard time with something. Sometimes I'll I I'll. I'll I'll feel it and I'll be like, what is going on with you? And he's like, what, what? You know? <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't figured it out and you already know. Right. And, the, and then, and then as it starts to come out, I'll, I'll start to get frustrated and it's not good. It's not good. I need to give him the space to feel what he's feeling and to go through what he's going through. And, and, and like you said, you might've gotten angry. You might've, you know, it's, that's quite an amazing that's quite an amazing thing that happened with you and your mom there. That's amazing. It was, it was truly amazing. Yeah. I, I, I feel great. I feel so grateful for my education. Wow. Yeah. We are complicated little beings, aren't we? 
<laughs> we are. And we're not predictable. Nope. We are weird. <laughs> <laughs> we are weird. That may be one of my friends. That may have to be the title of my, uh, of, I, I'm titling the episodes, you know, so maybe it'll be, we are weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree with that one. So yeah, one of my friend's kids asked me, what did you learn during your all your PhD? And I'm like, people are pretty weird. <laughs> you spend thousands of dollars learning that? I'm like, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I learned a lot more than that. I learned a lot of tools and processes, but we're not. And life isn't predictable. Yeah. So it, to me, the the antidote to all the part of I need to figure it out I need to figure it out is to just getting as present as it can with right now yeah getting curious I think and 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 uh just like looking at yourself with a little bit of curiosity I think and compassion compassion (laughs) yeah we don't give ourselves a lot of that I for sure did not give myself compassion when I was in management consulting I was freaking hard on myself (gasps) oh my goodness (laughs) oh yeah girl you know you only worked 80 hours this week you got to go put in 10 more somewhere (laughs) yeah oh my gosh I went you know when I uh when I first uh went out on my own with my own business for the photography I I would be you know like god my boss is a bitch Oh, that's me. Uh, but I was I was hard on myself, you know. It was it was funny. I was not giving myself a lot of grace there in the beginning, for sure. Yeah, hilarious. I think especially now during this pandemic, we have to give ourselves an enormous swath of self compassion. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, like we don't know what's coming. Uh, we don't know what to expect. I mean, even I, I have friends, uh, look, I have my own, this weekend, I got depressed for a while yeah. and I knew that I would get out, I would cycle out of it. I experienced depression enough in my life to know that. Um, but I happened to mention it to a friend. She's like, I'm depressed this weekend too. Yeah. You know, like she's not one to usually get depressed. So it was like, we're in such a place of uncertainty. It's a, it's a lot of uncertainty. So I think the antidote to that is grounding in and being present with what we are certain about. Mm-hmm. I'm certain about certain people in my life loving me and me loving them, or I'm certain about the tomato plant I'm taking care of it grew one more flower today. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> I'm certain I am loving this cup of coffee that I'm having right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is in the morning. You know, if the sun is shining, I am certain I, you know, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, compassion for ourselves and a little bit of gratefulness, I think goes a long way right now. For gratefulness very, very for those, for those little things. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think I'm going to leave it on that. Like, Happy <laughs> yeah, it's note. a beautiful place. Happy note. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate all your oh, candor and openness. So, yeah, I hope that it's beneficial to some people. Yeah, me too. I, mean, I know how how you know scary, nerve wracking, unclear it can be to make change. Yeah, 
also how rewarding. I mean, it is. It's it, the more we learn to do it, and it doesn't have to be a big thing. Mm-hmm. Again, small moves that start baby to, steps. Yes. Yeah. So tell me, where can people find you, or what are you excited about that's coming up? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You can find me uh, at uh, drsusanbernstein.com. B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N dot uh-huh. com. Uh, DrSusanBernstein.com or on LinkedIn. Look me up. Um, send me a message and tell me that you heard this podcast. And I'm happy to connect with Terrific. you. Terrific. And I will um, put those in the show notes for everybody too. Super. And then what I have coming up is something I'm just launching called the Get Real Gap Leadership Gatherings. So one, I think it's important for anybody in any kind of leadership, and you don't have to be a, you know, a CEO, you're leading your own life, or you want to lead by example in something, or you lead a group of people. Um, it's important as a leader to have a place where you can get real, where you can spill the beans about how things are really going and know that people will see that in a place of compassion and appreciation as opposed to condemnation or contempt for you saying something that you know so I'm I'm really wanting to create that open environment Um, and so it will be monthly gatherings where we work on a topic so like get real about conflict or get real about influence at work Mm -hmm. Um, and then and there'll be a first gathering to learn together and activities for learning so that it's experiential Mm -hmm. and then follow-up get-together where we get to try things, where we get to report on how what we tried out and how that's going, and to share with each other in a, um, a community portal where we can also report and share and get support from each other. Because I think, you know, when we, when we hold the example or we think that we have to hit some example in life that is hard, you know, or that's unrealistic, that doing that alone is just so hard. When we have other people to say, ah, that's not easy for me either. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. Are you doing it like a virtual thing over Zoom or how? Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Over Zoom, we can also have breakouts and experiences and get to know each other. Great. So I'm to that, that is so cool. Great. Well, definitely. Is that going to be accessible through your website? I'm going to guess. It will be accessible through my website. Awesome. Awesome. Good awesome. Time. But definitely you can reach me through LinkedIn to talk about it. That I live on LinkedIn. Awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, thank you so much. This was great. Well, thank you. Yeah. This has been just fabulous. Well, there you have it. How about we all try taking a little time this week to listen to what our bodies are telling us. Thanks so much for listening. Ah, but before I go, next week will be episode number 13. Lucky number 13, a baker's dozen. I'm going to go solo for that show. If you have any questions you'd like me to answer on that episode, send me an email at latebloomerliving at gmail.com. Oh my gosh, it would be so fun to hear from you. Please let me know if you have any topics you'd like to hear about in the future or maybe a friend with a good story we could dive into. I'd love to have your feedback, so please feel free to send me a message on Instagram or on Facebook or, again, email me, latebloomerliving at gmail.com. You at the and then you know Instagram and Facebook those places you can find me by looking up Late Bloomer Living on either of those platforms. 
Hey, if you enjoyed this, please leave a review uh, and a rating. Reviews are really key in helping to spread the word about the podcast so it can reach the right people. Thank you. I hope you have a fantastic week. Talk soon. Thank you.